You know, as I think about, and even as I prayed and as I was praying, I just was thinking about all of the things that are going on in our world. All of the things that are transpiring, all the things that, the images that you see, whether they're online or whether they're on TV, whatever, it's, it's easy to get overwhelmed. But one of the things that I have felt really recently is just realizing how, while there's some things that, that I do, some things that I'm in control of, really at the end of the day, I'm pretty small. I'm pretty small, like when it comes to like the, the world, and we're living in West Michigan, and and it's like okay, we we have some significance in people's lives around us, but at the end of the day, we are just like so tiny in in the scheme of things. And actually, the more that I think about that, the more I, I ponder that, I actually believe that's a healthy place to be. I don't know if, if you guys saw the sunset last night. How many of you guys saw the sunset? Anybody? Well, if you didn't, I have this horrible picture that's going to be up on the screen, because you really can't see it, even though I tried. But I, I pulled off, I was down near Hamilton area, um, I was driving, and I pulled off the side of the road, and I just had to take a picture. And I'm looking at the sunset, and I'm just like realizing how small I actually am. And this next picture, I mean, just a, it looked like, you know, the, the heavens, the sky was on fire. It was absolutely beautiful. But I looked at that, I'm like, man. Here I am, a created being. Here I am, sure, significant in the eyes of God. He loved me so much that he sent his son Jesus to die for me. But in the scheme of things, I look at that and I realize I am so tiny. And so many things are out of our control. And there is a God in the universe who, praise the Lord, has things in control in the palm of his hands. And the one thing I want to talk about today is something that, frankly, I'm realizing it's what I just shared, but it's something that I really want to grow in more and more. It's something that I haven't talked about a ton. It's something that I haven't really studied a ton. And it's something that I really haven't heard in the church you know, talked about a ton. Because we like to keep it at, at an arm's length. We kind of like to keep it like, okay, we, we know that's in Scripture, but we want to talk about these other attributes of God, or we want to talk about these other things. And the thing that I want to talk about this morning comes out of Acts chapter 9. And we've been going through the book of Acts, and we find ourselves in Acts chapter 9. And I want to start reading in verse 26 of Acts chapter 9. And a lot has happened already in nine chapters of Acts. There's been life transformation. There's been huge healings and miracles. The, the gospel's going forth. And in the very beginning of Acts, we see that a man named Saul, his life was transformed. And frankly, when I think of Saul, I do, it does cause me to pray for those who are persecuting Christians around the world today. Like, I want that same thing to happen in their hearts, for them to encounter the living Christ, for Jesus to speak to them and say, why are you persecuting me? And then all of a sudden, their life is transformed. And so the church, the early church is seeing miracle after miracle. There's persecution, but they're seeing the biggest persecutor of their faith transform and becoming a, a proclaimer of the gospel. And... I want to just pick up in, in verse 26 and just read, like, this is some of the reaction to what had just happened. It says, And when he had come, speaking of Saul, to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. I actually love that verse. Because we think of the 12 disciples, we think of these early followers of Jesus, full of faith, and they were. But all of a sudden they hear that Saul has been transformed. They're coming, he's coming to Jerusalem to hang out with them. And they're like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. 
And so I'm like, wow, they, there was some doubt. There was some wrestling that they had. I love how um, human the, the scripture is. Like the real emotions of these disciples. They were afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him. And how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So another picture that I love. Here Barnabas stands up and says, I got you. I got you, Saul. I got your back. This transformation is real. And we all need a Barnabas in our life. Someone who will speak up for us. Someone who will have our back. But then it goes on. So he went in and out, Saul, and among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, Greek-speaking uh, Jews. But they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So interesting how things can change. And so quickly, the one who was going to kill Christians is now being hunted, if you will, is being uh, chased. They wanted to kill him. But then it says this in verse 31. So the church throughout all Judea, throughout Galilee and Samaria, had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. It multiplied. And, and that phrase say, walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Speaking of the church, that leaps off the page to me. Because I look at that and I'm like, that, that is what I want in my life. That is what I want. I want to walk in the fear of the Lord. I want to walk in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. I want to see um, the church multiply, not just see addition and see one person or two people come to know Jesus, even though we praise that and, and one life that's transformed we're going to celebrate, but to see the church multiply, to see many people's lives transformed by the gospel. But we see this picture that the church was walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And for the next couple weeks, we want to talk about the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. But this morning, I want to talk about the fear of the Lord, and I want to talk about it and, and share about it just because like, this is something that I want to grow in. This is something that I haven't heard a whole lot, something that we're like, ooh, the fear of the Lord, that sounds like, yeah, maybe weird. We like to talk about the love of God and the grace of God, which we should talk about, but throughout Scripture, the fear of the Lord is mentioned time after time after time. Almost 300 times the fear of the Lord is talked about. And it's talked about and saying it's the beginning of wisdom. It leads to life. There are so many things that are central when it comes to following Jesus that are tied to the fear of the Lord that we need to see what it's all about. And so this morning I want to go on a journey and just look at Old Testament passages and New Testament passages and really talk about the fear of the Lord and give us an accurate description of the fear of the Lord. Because I don't want it to be like, ooh, fear, like, oh, I'm just scared of God, so I'm going to stay distant from Him. Even though we'll see that there is some holy terror, the holy scaredness, if you will, that comes when we encounter God face to face. But if we look at Deuteronomy chapter 10, and these verses are going to be up on the screen, and if you want to write them down, I just want you to see that the fear of the Lord is all throughout Scripture. Deuteronomy 10, God is speaking to his people, the Israelites. They had just created a calf, a golden calf, and they were bowing down to this golden calf and thinking that this little idol that they had made was the one who took, had taken them out of Egypt. And so he's appearing to them again and speaking to them. And this is what he says. He said, and now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all of his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul. 
He says, this is the context of a relationship. I want you to, to fear the Lord your God, to do what I say, to be obedient, to have this, this proper understanding of who I am, to walk in the fear of the Lord. Fast forward to the book of Joshua. Joshua had just, after 40 years of the Israelites wandering throughout the desert, Joshua had led them into the promised land. They defeated uh, uh, enemy after enemy after enemy. They're, they're in the land that God had promised. And Joshua, the very final words that he said at the end of Joshua, he's speaking to the people. He says this, Now therefore, fear the Lord. Serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. <coughs> Joshua, his last words over and over again, he says, fear the Lord. First, uh, in 1 Samuel, there's a guy that we come across named Samuel, and, and he knows how to hear from the Lord. And he's a very influential person in the life of Israel. And he speaks to the Israelites on behalf of God and his farewell address to the Israelites. He says this, if you will fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and not rebel against the commandments of the Lord, and if both you and the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God, it will be well. His final words. Again, another person who over and over again says, walk in the fear of the Lord. Fear the Lord. Even King David, throughout the Psalms, he says, serve the Lord with fear. Rejoice with trembling. And then his son Solomon, who was the wisest person on the face of the earth besides Jesus, wrote this at the end of his life. He said, the end of the matter, as he looked at all of his life, he said, all has been heard. Fear God, keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. And Solomon just boils it down to that simple statement. Fear the Lord and do what he says. Fear the Lord, keep his commandments. If only Solomon could have followed his own words and not followed his own advice. He says, fear the Lord. Follow his commandments. Do what he says. Now, you might be thinking, okay, Dave, that's a lot of verses about fearing the Lord, but those are all in the Old Testament, and so this must be an Old Testament thing of, of fearing the Lord. Well, let's turn over to the New Testament. 2 Corinthians 7. Paul is talking about in 2 Corinthians 6 about us being the temple of the living God, God's presence dwelling inside of us. And then he says, this is how we're to live as a result of that. Since we have these promises, being the temple of the living God, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Paul in Philippians when he's talking about Jesus and talking about Jesus being exalted, Jesus being full of grace, coming as a servant, he follows that up and he says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work on your salvation with fear and trembling. And then Peter, follower of Jesus, who knew grace, who knew forgiveness, who knew that he had been brought into a relationship with God through Jesus, who, who had talked about us being a royal priesthood, belonging to God. He said this in 1 Peter, this is how you're to live. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. This is all in addition to Acts 9, verse 31 that we read, where it says the early church walked 
in the fear of the Lord. Walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. So what is the fear of the Lord? Like, I, I think of this word fear, and, and I'm like, okay, there are things that I'm afraid of. Like, I have great fears in my life. And I don't know if that's how, like, my relationship with Jesus should be described. I have fears in my life. My greatest fear is of snakes. Anybody, like, also have a fear of snakes? Like, I don't really care if it's a little garter snake that eats little mice in the field or whatever, and like, oh, they're so, like, they're actually helpful. No, I, I, I want them dead. I don't like snakes. Now, some of you, like, you might have a fear of spiders. Anybody like fear of spiders? Okay. Fear of spiders. Like, a spider, I'm like, eh, it's a spider. Who cares? You know, crawl on my arm, crawl in my house. I really don't care. You know, we all have different fears. There's a fear of public speaking. Anybody have a fear of public speaking? You're like, eh, I don't want to get up there and speak. Like, some people say, like, the, the number one fear in life is the fear of public speaking, and the number two fear in life is the fear of death. So people would actually rather die than public speak. It's, like, it's crazy. I'm like, it's really not all that bad just having a conversation. But we have fears in our lives. And if I have a fear in my life, I'm going to do whatever I can do to stay away from that fear. We used to live out near Riesland and out in the uh, field. And I would, would mow the, the back little property that I have. And I would see snakes and frogs, which is another one of my fears. And I like shoved the lawnmower one time and I said, I'm done. I'm absolutely done. And there was just this tiny little snake. It compelled me and motivated me to move into town. I'm like, I'm not dealing with these snakes anymore. I'm out of here. So we, we react to our fears in a certain way. We try to avoid it. But I look at scripture and I'm like, I don't think that's what it's talking about when it comes to the fear of the Lord. And so what, is it, what does it mean to walk in the fear of the Lord? What does this fear of the Lord look like? And before I give a definition, I want to give a couple other pictures. A couple other pictures from Scripture because I think it's absolutely important. Go back to Exodus. Exodus chapter 14. It's a famous chapter in Scripture. The Israelites are, are escaping Egypt. And once you eat, the Egyptians figure out what's going on, they chase after the Israelites. And the Israelites are freaking out because they're seeing their enemies pursue them. And they're on the, the banks of the, the, the Red Sea. And they're like, okay, we have our enemies here, we have water in front of us, what is going to happen? And in Exodus chapter 14, God says, don't worry, I'll deliver you. All you need to do is stand still and you will see the salvation of your God. And we know the story, the Red Sea parts, they walk across on dry land, the Egyptians chase after them, the water crumbles on them, and God delivers them and gives them victory. In Exodus 14 verse 31, this is what it says. It says, Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. I love that picture because they saw his great power. They saw what he had done, and I believe their reaction was more like, oh my goodness, do you see what happened? It wasn't like they saw his power, and I feel all right, we fear the Lord. They were like overwhelmed with his power. His great power was on display, as in, 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 in an instant, all of their enemies were wiped out. And so it said they feared the Lord and they believed. They feared the Lord because I believe they were in awe of his power. That they did nothing and they were delivered from their enemies. Another picture that I want to give you is out of Isaiah chapter 6. It's a picture of, of Isaiah seeing the Lord. And he sees the Lord 
and, and here's the picture of the Lord in Isaiah 6. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I, speaking of Isaiah, saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. The train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. I mean, what an amazing picture. The Lord sitting upon the throne, so great that his train fills the, 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 the robe fills the temple, and these, these seraphim are just covered. And then it said this next verse says, And one called to another, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory, and the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And so here was just this amazing picture of the Lord. And how did Isaiah respond? He said, Oh, woe is me. For I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah saw the Lord's greatness. And what was his response? Even though it doesn't say it, he was filled with fear. Because he knew who he was, and he knew who the Lord was because he saw him. He's like, oh, woe is me. The Lord is so much greater. And so there was this awe. There was this, I would say, fear. Fast forward to Jesus, another amazing picture, walking on this earth. And it's, he um, healed a widow's son who was dead. Actually, didn't heal him, but raised him from the dead. And you just think of that story here. He healed or, or raised a widow's son from the dead. The widow had already known loss, lost her son. And Jesus comes and raises her son from the dead. Says this in Luke 7 16. Says the people that saw this, it says, Fear seized them all. And they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has risen among us. And God had visited his people. Fear seized them all because they saw, even though they denied that he was the Messiah, they saw that God was at work. They saw that power was at work. And so they were afraid of this power. There's other instances where people were afraid of Jesus' power. They told him, like, get out of here after he, he uh, cast out these demons from this guy who was filled with demons. They were seized with fear. And so they saw that God's power was on display, and it said, fear seized them. And then one last picture in Revelation 1. John, the beloved disciple, sees Jesus exalted in heaven. And this is what he, he says in Revelation. It says, when I saw him, when I saw Jesus, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand, hand on me, saying, fear not, I am the first and the last. This picture of fear, seeing Jesus exalted at the right hand of God, reigning and ruling, John's response is filled with fear, and he falls down as though he's dead in worship. And it's a picture of the worship that we see talked about in Hebrews 12. Where it says, let us worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. So I look at these pictures all throughout Scripture, and I, I see this picture of fear as, as one of not being a picture of like running away from someone, but frankly, one of, of, of being terrified, of being scared, like, whoa, you are so much greater than myself. But fear being one of, of reverence. You are different than I am. I'm going to revere you. I'm going to honor you. It's one of respect and honor, respecting someone who is in a high position. It's treating God with the respect and admiration that he deserves. That's what the fear of the Lord is. It's like recognizing that God is different. 
Not to be, be scared of as like to hide things from him, but to be in awe of who he is. To be overwhelmed with his presence. I would say this, fear of the Lord is having a proper awareness of God. A proper awareness of God, that he is holy, that he is set apart, that he is all-powerful, that he is awesome above all of those who are around him. That he gives life and breath and everything else. The breath that you and I just breathed, just filled our lungs. That was not something that we ourselves created or came up with. That was a gift from God most high who gives us every single breath. That God is the one who's in charge of all things that we see. That he has a plan. That he holds the universe in the palm of his hand. And so the fear of the Lord is this proper awareness of who he is. But it's also a proper awareness of who we are. That while we are loved by the Lord, and I never want to minimize that, we pale in comparison. Life is not about you or I, that we are small, that we are powerless, that we are just a created being, that we are dependent on God. So I would say fear of the Lord is a proper awareness of who God is, but also a proper awareness of who we are. But it's also this continual awareness of God that results in this radical, I would say, this radical God-centeredness in our lives. That in every situation, we are aware of who God is. That he is shaping every part of our lives. That we're building our life completely on him. In Proverbs 8, this one's not up on the screen. It says, the fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil. The fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil. That's what it looks like. The fear of the Lord is, is hating the things that God hates and loving the things that God loves. Fear of the Lord is looking at the things that are happening in our world today and saying, you know what? I hate that. That is wrong. It's not hating the people, it's hating what is happening in our world because the fear of the Lord and hates the things that God hates. But the thing that I love, frankly, and growing to love about the fear of the Lord is that it implies this relationship. We're not afraid of this tyrant who's just going to smush us. No, we have this proper relationship, this proper understanding with the God of the universe who is our Father through the blood of Jesus. That we can come to him, that he is all-powerful, and that we are in awe of him, but that we can come before him as his kids. And the thing that I really have been wrestling with when I've been thinking about the fear of the Lord is this is quite the different attitude that I see in my life and in the lives of people today. Like, I don't see this fear of the Lord too regularly. In fact, I see um, what I would say is an arrogance that exists in the world today. And it comes out in so many different ways. It comes out of saying, you know, when I see God, when I make it to heaven, I'm going to go right up into him and say, boom, boom, boom. Why did this happen? Or this, you should do this, this, and this, and this. Or this is how the world should be run. And I'm all for questioning God. I'm all for like saying, like, God, where are you? What are you doing? Pouring out our hearts before him. But I think there's an arrogance that has crept into our culture to saying, well, God should be doing this. God should be doing that. This is really what God means when he writes in scripture. You know, imagine if I were to make a, out of Plato a little guy, and this guy starts talking to me, and, you know, and talking back to me. He's silly. It's like, you're a created being, and you're talking to a creator, and you're telling him how the world should run. I'd be like squashing that thing, and being like, away from me. But there's this arrogance that has come up to where we say, like, well, God is like this. God is like that. God should be doing this. And we question. And we tell God the way that he should be running the universe. Or we ignore the things that he says. 
And I do believe that there's this arrogance and pride that has entered into our world. And scripture is clear in Romans 11, verse 20. It says, don't become proud, but fear the Lord. Don't become proud, but fear the Lord. This week, I was talking to a friend of mine who's actually come to this realization in his life. He'd gone through just a lot of hardship over the last couple months. And I asked him, so what have you learned in the midst of this? And he goes, Dave, I know this is going to sound so simple, but it is actually so profound. I have realized that I'm not God, that I'm not in control, and that I truly just need to trust the Lord. I truly believe, like, we all need to learn that over and over and over again, that we are not the Lord, that He is the Lord, that we are created, we are dearly loved, but that we are not in control. And so my prayer is that in our lives, we would not be arrogant, we would not be proud, but we would be humble. We need that humility in our lives to walk before the Lord and say, I need you, I need a desperate for you. There's also things that I see in this world, in our lives, where people are, are distracted when it comes to the Lord. Nowhere in scripture do we see people come and have an encounter with the Lord and they're distracted saying, oh, look at that bird. Oh, look at that thing. No, they're in awe of the Lord. They're not distracted by all the other things that are going on in their lives. And they're also not casual when it comes to the Lord. They're not like, hey, buddy, what's going on? I know we can call him Father, but there's this casualness that I see in people's lives and coming before the Lord. And we have to remember, we have to walk in the spirit of the Lord saying, God, you are exalted. You are reigning. We are in awe of who you are. When it comes to your life and my life, we will live in fear. We will live in some sort of fear. I heard that some people have a fear of, of getting peanut butter stuck in the roof of their mouth. It's a legit fear. Anybody have that fear in here? That's a legit fear. Some people have the fear of the color yellow. Some people have the fear of like bathing. Like there's a lot of fears that people have. People have this fear of, of, of maybe being, of having nothing, being in need, having lack, not having enough money. There's a fear that people have of failing, making mistakes in their life. I think a fear that people have, a big one today, is a fear of other people. And this results in wanting to constantly please people. And here's what I've learned. You will live in fear, and you will actually serve who or what you fear. You will give your time, energy, talent, treasure to the one that you fear, the thing that you will fear. But the greatest antidote to the fear of man or any other fear is the fear of God. A proper understanding of who God is. And scripture is clear in Proverbs 19 that this type of fear leads to life. Leads to life. What a promise. The fear of the Lord leads to life. And so I want us to be like those early Christians. Walking in the fear of the Lord. Walking in awe of who God is. Being overwhelmed, understanding who we are, having a proper awareness of who we are in relationship to God. Having proper awareness of who He is. That He is all-loving, that He is all-knowing, that He is all-powerful, that He is the one who has always been and who will always be. And why is this so important? And I want to end with this. Psalm 25 says this. Psalm 25 verse 14 says this. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear Him. And he makes known to them his covenant. The friendship 
Or actually, it says the secret counsel of the Lord. The one who understands the secrets of God, who is brought into the secret mysteries of God. It's for the one who fears the Lord. You want to have friendship with God? We all want friendship with God. You want friendship with God, but friendship begins with fear of God. And it's this weird thing as we fear God, as we understand who he is. We come before him humbly with a contrite heart. As we come that way, honoring him, it says he dwells with those who have that posture, who are humble and contrite in spirit. Weird thing is, fear of the Lord produces friendship with the Lord. But we can't have friendship with the Lord without a fear of the Lord. It all begins with the fear of the Lord, walking in a proper understanding of who he is. And so my prayer for us in this room is that we would be given the gift of the proper fear of the Lord. That we would walk around every day with that. Understanding who he is, understanding who we are. And so I'm going to ask right now that, that, that the Lord would give us the gift of the fear of the Lord. That we would encounter him in such a way. Because when we encounter him, we see him for who he is. We are changed. We are in awe of who he is. And so I want to ask, Jared, as you come up, we're going to enter into a time of worship. That the Lord would give us this amazing gift of just being able to walk around in the fear of the Lord. Having that proper understanding, awareness of who he is. So God, we come before you and we praise you. And we just simply ask, God, that you would, feel, you would fill us with that fear of the Lord that leads to friendship. God, that, that for the ways that we have, have misunderstood you, for the ways that we have approached you in an inappropriate way, for the ways that we have treated you too lightly, God, we ask for your forgiveness. God, we ask that you would fill us with awe, with reverence, with honor, with respect. God, that, that we would just bow at, our, at your feet. That our knees would bow before you. Being in awe of you. For Father, you are so great. You are so wonderful. Holy Spirit, fill us with that proper fear. Thank you for the promise. That that leads to friendship. But I just say, Father, like we don't want to skip the first part. Just go to the friendship because it begins with, with, with understanding who you are. And so we'll open up our eyes, God. May we see your greatness. May we see your glory. May we encounter your presence and be transformed.